the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time for Rescuers, the show about people who change and save lives. Now, here's your host, Art Brooks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another edition of the Rescuers radio show. You can uh, listen to uh, the radio show at faithtalk1360.com and faithtalk1360 over the air every Thursday at 530. And then it becomes a podcast. And... um, so glad. Uh, oh, uh, by the way, our uh, west, our website is rescuersradioshow.org, nonprofit. And if you'd like to donate or become part of the ministry, you'll, you can figure that out on the website. You'll also be able to see all the shows we've had uh, going on almost 100 shows now. Isn't that amazing? God is, God is on, the, on, the, on the fly here. Uh, my guest today, Sean Walsh. I've known Sean for quite a while. CEO of Meadows Behavioral Healthcare. Hi, Sean. Hey, Art. How are you, man? Good to uh, good to be here. I'm well. How about you? <laughs> I'm good. Hey, I always like to start off the program with uh, you know we have a worldwide audience here since we're on the uh, we're on the podcast world and and um, I always like my guests to uh, you know get get acquainted with who you are before we start. Uh, so let's begin with you sharing your personal backstory, uh, taking a little time to share how you got to this point in your life. Sure. Kind of broad. So, huh? uh, what's that? That's <laughs> kind of raw. A big, big ask, right? Yeah. I was going to say, we only have 30 minutes, right? I <laughs> get through my adolescence, but, um, but yeah, so Sean Walsh, I'm, uh, first and, and foremost, I've been, married for 21 years to uh to my beautiful bride and we have four children i've got a, a 17 a 14 a 10 and a nine-year-old we've got um two two bio girls or older girls and then we adopted two boys um who are my younger two from haiti about seven years ago and 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 yeah my journey that kind of got me where i am today I, i've been in the behavioral health field pretty much my entire adult life and kind of the addiction mental health world and really came out of my own story and my own recovery i, I was one of the the lost adolescents that uh that i came to help and and you know was was on a path that i thought my life probably would be over before i saw the age of 21 and wow. um i got sober um at 18 um really really young which again gives you kind of a sense of what kind of adolescent i was that i needed to get sober at 18 but just spent a lot of my adolescence i moved around a lot i've i think i quit counting when my my wife and i were exact opposite i think she's moved twice in her entire life and i had never lived anywhere longer than about a year and a half and i think i've moved about 32 times in my life oh my so 
lived in different states overseas. And um, so just a lot of, you know, grief and loss comes with that. A lot of loneliness, had my own kind of family of origin stuff and just fell into all the, uh, the kind of common vices that people do to try to escape and numb some of that. And, um, and but then uh, through God's grace, got sober um, and started volunteering and working in this field as I was kind of going through school and have been doing it ever since. And um, you know, I'm really blessed to be where I'm at today. Absolutely. Well, Sean, you, you make it sound like uh, getting sober was something you did on your own, but I'm sure you had some help along the way. Oh yeah, no, and then you know, by God's grace, because uh, yeah. <laughs> especially at that at that age, because it absolutely wasn't uh, wasn't to my own accord. At yeah, nineteen, I had 18. eighteen, yeah, wow. Um, had a couple of relapses in those first few months, but it, it's hard to to embrace something like that as a young adult when most young adults are kind of you know going off into college and drinking and drugging and all those kind of things. But no, I had you know family and loved ones, and uh, was put in a treatment outpatient program that taught me kind of what recovery was about, and got around other young people that were in recovery and. And like I said, was very fortunate at a young age to also start to address all that stuff. You know, I mean, in my uh, mid forties now, it's it's you know, it's not ironic, but whether it's a church home group or whatever it may be, I, you know, a lot of my friends they're going through therapy or their couples going, you know, like man, I wish I would have addressed this stuff when I was twenty. I wish I would have known this about myself, about mm-hmm. my, and nothing major, even if it's just you know a communication or you know why we are the way we are is is kind of because of where we came from. And and I was really fortunate and blessed that I was forced because my life was so out of control. Um, but my wife and I did a lot of that work early on. And, and like I said, we've had a 20 year healthy marriage because of it. But no, it was absolutely because other people stepped in um, and, and because God, God stepped in. I, I was convinced I wouldn't have uh, lived to see my 20s if, mm. if other people hadn't stepped in. My blessing in my life, uh, my wife, Dinah, who, who you have met, um, we got married 20 years ago, about 20 and a half years ago. So we're right, right, real close with you. So, um, were you in, were you in 2020? No, 20 years. I mean, not 20, not 2020, uh, 20, 2000, the year 2000, sorry. <laughs> 2001, actually. 2001, okay. Yeah. It's going to say, yeah. for me, I plan, I was like, you know, I never have to mess up the anniversary <laughs> year. <laughs> it's, it's 2034, I can go, okay, 34 years. <laughs> so being, uh, being CEO of Meadows, you couldn't even, that was a wild dream of, uh, away from you, right? Somehow, somehow yeah. you got into step-by-step, yeah. step, uh, kind of walk us through how you uh, even got there. Yeah, Um for those who don't know that, I mean, the Meadows is, is been around about 45 years and is, you know, one of the more prominent, you know, kind of treatment. It gets a lot of and, press and, once in a while. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, um, you know, known kind of throughout the, uh, the country and internationally. And, and ironically, when I was 19 years old and doing my own work, I was, you know, going to workshops and conferences. And as I was going to undergrad and grad school, studying under the, uh, what we call our senior fellows at the Meadows, you know, at 20 years old, reading the books that they had written and, and doing my own work. So mm. to be, you know, 25 years later and sitting at the table among, you know, my heroes is, uh, yeah, something I never would have imagined, but, 
um, yeah, I just I started working out and like I said, uh, volunteering in different agencies around the state. Um, as I was going through school, I actually went the clinical route and became a therapist and I'm a licensed addictions therapist and um, worked with a lot of different populations, you know, whether I was so young for a while, so it was adolescence for a long time and young adults and then but everything from chronically homeless kind of severely mentally ill addicts to, you know, working with active duty military or in, you know, inpatient psychiatric hospitals, outpatient, um, and was in mid-level management for a while. And then, yeah, through just a, a lot of relationships, uh, worked in a few places around the country in the, uh, the Meadows called about a decade ago. And I, I came on board um, to the Meadows in 2012. And, um, you know, yeah, I've been really blessed. We, uh, we were one program then in, uh, in Wickenburg, Arizona. Mm. And um, today we're, uh, we're 12 programs in, in Arizona, Texas, and California. And actually just in the last month have signed leases in, uh, in Las Vegas and Denver and Houston. So that's, um, a, so that's a lot of campuses for Meadows. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, our, our goal is to be able to just to improve access and expand reach and be able to be yeah. more accessible um, and to kind of whatever the mental health need may be, whether that's, you know, a, a 14 year old girl struggling maybe with an eating disorder or, you know, an executive with, uh, you know, trauma or kind of anything in between, whether it's inpatient or outpatient, whatever, whatever level of care there may be in need of or whatever the issue might be. Um, so, I We've think when I first met you, you were CEO of uh, Calvary Addiction and Recovery Center, I think. That was was it before the Meadows? Yeah, it probably was, actually, because that was the first when we were doing Crystal Darkness. 2008. I'm going to talk about those documentaries in a little bit, uh, because you, we we were quite a team, right? Yeah, we uh, are. <laughs> so, um, wild- yeah, yeah, like something that's never been done in the country since. But... Um, uh, so you were, you, you worked your way through other, other, uh, centers to get to the meadows. You were in mm-hmm. San Antonio for a while. And then you had, uh, you were the head of Calvary here in, in Phoenix, right? Yep. Yeah. And, um, really just tried to, for the, you know, the first, you know, 10, 15 years of my career, just tried to get as much experience as I could working with different populations, um, and different issues. And then, um, Again, had opportunities, worked for some large, there's some large strategic kind of behavioral health care companies that have programs all over the country and, you know, hundreds of different hospitals and programs. And uh, they had a a CEO and training program. So I was in kind of mid-level management. And Mm -hmm. that's when they came and asked if I was interested in being uh, a CEO. And and my response, actually, when I sat down with the, uh, the, you know, regional executive at that time, I said, not, not really. Um, and, uh, I said, I, look, I don't, I, I, I don't seek kind of the, the stage. I don't seek the spotlight. I don't, I, you know, but, um, I just try to kind of be faithful and do the best job that God has me in, but sure. It's like, I've been doing this my entire adult life. I've always said like, well, if this was my place, this is how I would do it. But, um, it was a great opportunity to go and partner up with a very seasoned, you know, executive and operator and go through that program. And then that, after that, that's when I went to, uh, Calvary Addiction Recovery Center here in Phoenix. Hmm. So, uh, so you, you were, uh, gosh, in, in, into your teens, you're going through all of this. And um, do you mind if I ask what what drug had you? Yeah, I wasn't a specialist. I was uh, anything and everything. <laughs> um, 
I was, a, I was again about, you know, just kind of numbing and escaping and not knowing how to live life um, without any substance. So, but it was, it was alcohol, it was marijuana, it was hallucinogens, it was cocaine, it was methamphetamines. It was, there was never, I think maybe two a time, two times I could ever remember somebody putting something in front of me and me saying no, um, which again is the, the, not a real healthy place and a sign that you might have a problem. But, uh, but yeah, I, I've, I've, I never was, I was fortunate during the time period that my addiction was happening, that things like the opioid epidemic that's happening now with either, you know, black tar heroin or now with fentanyl wasn't around. Um, otherwise, I'm sure that I would have ended up in that. And, you know, the kind of mortality and the fatality and the addiction that happens that is just so lethal. Yeah, fentanyl, but, fentanyl has changed a lot. I mean, it's, it's, it's death, oh. right? It's it's absolutely devastating. Yeah. yeah, I mean the overdose. I don't know. If, so the overdose numbers now are at a record high. We're over, had over a hundred thousand last year. Oh my gosh! Yeah. Wow, I I hadn't seen that. That's that's large. Um, for our guests at the at, uh, on this edition of the Rescuers Radio Show, if you've just tuned in and we're a little late, my my guest today is Sean Walsh, the CEO of Meadows Behavioral Healthcare, and. Um, and we're I'd like to go to another area, Sean. We, we've locked, talked a lot about how you got here, uh, how you how you're. Uh, yeah. You know, I'm thinking right now of a scripture. Um, everybody's fam- probably familiar with Romans eight twenty eight. All things will end up to the good for those who love him. Right. Mm. There, I had a guest that put a, a different take on that scripture, and I think it applies to you. Uh, you. God may allow something he hates to achieve something he loves. So he hated the fact of your your addictions, everything you were going through and everything you were doing to your body, your mind, in your teens. Look how Look where you are now. Mm. And you never could have seen that coming. Absolutely. No. And, and I think it's that, uh, you know, there's those, de- com- those conversations and, and, and debates often about, you know, free will and God's sovereignty and, you know, his role and plan in people's lives, but just the, uh, the miracles of how he can redeem anything and that anything is possible, you know, um, through his power and yeah. through his love. Yeah, I'm one of countless stories. I mean, that's one of the best parts of my job is I get to hear, you know, thousands of lives that are forever changed that, you know, it were far worse than me, you know, may not have been. And, and, and again, whether it doesn't have to be professional success, it could just be the life's changed, the sure. family's restored and the relationships. But um, but absolutely. Sean, I see um, you as a uh, futurist looking for ways to change the way we think about addiction, trauma, and mental health, and the relationship uh, with these issues may have with health care. Are you thinking that way? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, no, that's, that's our mission, our uh, vision. And, and, you know, historically, there's been a lot of stigma around mental health and addiction, a lot of misunderstanding. um, And, I think we're at a crossroads in the last couple years, and, and particularly even post-COVID, where the world is talking about mental health. The stigma is starting to fade, and people are all acknowledging that 
we all struggle at different times and to different severities and different levels. And one of the most dangerous things that can happen is when people hold those things in the dark and keep them to themselves Mm -hmm. and feel additional shame on top of whatever the issue they might be struggling with. So, you know, our goal is that, you know, mental health care will become as accessible um, as general health care and beyond accessible, um, but just be as readily discussed and to get rid of that stigma. Um, and to understand the balance of kind of the, the neuroscience of mental health and, you know, d- depression, anxiety, and why things happen, um, along with all the uh, addictions, whether they're substance or process addictions, but to change that, because that that stigma and the barriers and a- that you have to access and care um, contribute to people dying and losing their lives and families destroyed. Um, so we want to bring, because there is you know, evidence-based, scientifically, you know, kind of proven good, solid treatments out there for whatever the issue may be. Um, and and again, sadly, on the heels of COVID, everything right now is getting worse, not better. Yes. Um, you know, I mean, the good news is people are talking about it. I, I don't think I can go a week without hearing a news story, reading an article or on the radio talking about mental health, where that didn't happen a decade ago. Um, but at the same time, you know, depression, anxiety, suicide, addictions, all those things are trending the wrong way, um, which is. Yeah, which the, is, the spikes, the spikes have been um, suicide and PTSD, uh, PTSD has, has risen as, as a real com- uh, complex issue, especially with the veteran mm-hmm. world. There, are you there? Uh, you're back. I lost you. Oh, okay. <laughs> did you hear, did you hear my... is on the rise, but then you drop for a second. What... And, and suicide right along with it. Yeah. Yeah. Those have been the spikes. Well, yeah. And uh, well, and, and anxiety um, yeah. along with that and same again with things like overdose of, you know, opioids. Yeah. Um, but it's just a bit of a perfect storm. I mean, again, when you've got, you know, the year and a half that we have had with, you know, whether it's COVID and kind of the, you know, physical impact, obviously the economic impact, but, you know, from the beginning and those of us in this field, we've been saying that, man, the third leg of that stool is the impact on mental health and that that's going to, you know, when we're far past COVID, the, uh, you know, the cracks in the foundation and the impact that that's going to have on people will be felt and, uh, you know, need to be addressed years in, in years to come um, for a variety of reasons. Yeah. And then you throw on, you know, whatever it may be, isolation and quarantining and losing jobs or political divisiveness and racial injustice and right. All the, all the things, um, those, those generally don't equal people taking better care of themselves to sadly. And unfortunately they often fall into kind of, you know, bad habits, character defects, or just overwhelmed. Um, so I think all of that, and then you could, you know, throw in things like, technology and social media with kids and some of the new things that are part of our society and world that weren't when we were kids um, that, you know, again, are being proven and show the impact and the, you know, challenges that they uh, create for strong, good, healthy, you know, mental wellness. So. Sean, I'd like to go walk through the uh, documentaries that we were a part of. Uh, Back in 2008, uh, we did for the first time ever in the United States, uh, we did a program called Crystal Darkness, and that was attacking the crystal meth issue here in, in Arizona and uh, around the country as well. Uh, but these these uh, ran here. 
we we were able to, and then in uh, 2015, we had a program called Hooked Tracking Heroin's Hold on Arizona. And then in 2017, we had Hooked from Prescription to Addiction. You, Sean, were part of our steering committee. We had a, a very powerful group of people to come f- together that knew all the back ground of the these issues and we were able to get every tv station and every radio station to air these half hour programs um on one day the the same day and it was six thirty to seven o'clock every tv station most radio stations and and to to this date it's never been redone in the united states anywhere and sean you you organized the call center for each of those. You had the 100-person call center to take care of, and and you did a great job because that's where rubber met the road, right? Yeah, we wanted to be able to to have qualified people to be on the other end of the phone when people called in that needed you know help for themselves or you know loved ones, and also being able to kind of point them and connect them to you know local resources based on what they needed. Um, yeah, it was amazing. That was an amazing time. It was, uh, you know, thousands uh, of after calls. Darkness, I feel like we had thousands of calls. Well, how many views? I feel like we had 1.4 million right after that first. It was the second behind the Super Bowl. I remember the first year, but um, yeah, it was it was unbelievable. And and again, I think steps towards destigmatizing, just making this shouldn't just be a conversation, whatever it is, whether it's you know a substance or again just something like depression that happens when a family's in crisis. Yeah. This should be something that's talked about, you know, in every family. Um, should be part of employee culture. It should be just part of our society. So I think those were big steps to that. Yeah. And what we learned from each one of those is the fact that the problem that showed up right on the phones and the laptops and whatever we had in front of the, of the call takers, uh, the, we could, we could all of a sudden feel how real, uh, these issues really were then. And now they're probably way, uh, you know, at levels we, we didn't even see back then. Yeah. Yeah. Sadly, I, I think that is the case. Um, and, and again, just more complex, you know, when you say things and you mention like the trauma that's come up, um, you know, it's really kind of complex trauma and, and PTSD that's happening on just a larger scale. So it's, you know, the, the treatment and the resources and the help that's often needed, it, it needs to be that much more kind of comprehensive as well. But um, yeah, the acuity is definitely rising. Again, I've been doing this for, you know, my entire adult life and Everywhere I go across that, you know, I was in Denver two weeks ago at the National Conference for Addiction Providers and every program, every facility, um, that's the message everyone is saying. The acuity is higher. Um, Patients and and people are coming in, you know, more acute, whether it's the Mm. severity of addiction, whether it's things like suicide, uh, suicidality accompanying it, whether it's, you know, mental health, you know, complex thought disorders associated with it. But the acuity is is getting much higher. Well, I know the suicide hotlines are always available to people and and uh, your services for sure. I uh, is there is there a, a behavioral health center larger than Meadows in the United States? Yeah, there's several. I mean, there's you know, there's some large strategic health care companies that have 
you know, I mean, the two biggest out there have 500 facilities, you know, 380 facilities. They've got them internationally, internationally wow. but they, they really are kind of, you know, strategic um, owners, um, not necessarily kind of operators where there's continuity in a, you know, in a, in a specific clinical model. So every program or hospital kind of runs independently and they're really just kind of the owners. Um, but yeah, there's, there's, you know, I mean, roughly about 14,000 treatment centers in the United States, they say about 1,200 of those closed in COVID because of the restrictions and the challenges to stay operational last year. Um, And that's a wide range, you know, that could be inpatient, you know, acute residential type treatment that people think of, you know, or see on TV, or it could be, you know, an outpatient practice or, you know, an intensive outpatient program, but, um, but there's not enough still sadly i mean any particularly but you know one of the the benefits of covid and you mentioned it you know in, in other shows is things like zoom and technology and virtual resources that now there is a lot of virtual outpatient care that's been adopted and accepted and we're able to take access to you know where we provide virtual outpatient to active duty soldiers in you know in other countries internationally that are to bring resources so um at the same time there there's new means and and interventions to be able to try to reach more people. Um, so they're, the, the treatment community and field is being as responsive as they can be to meet that demand. Sean, we're almost out of time, but uh, it flies by when we're, we're having great conversation <laughs> here. But, uh, but I, I, I pl- applaud you for being the futurist mind. I, I think that's really important to think about addiction, trauma, and mental health and the relationship the way healthcare will look like and is going to have to continue to progress, progress. But uh, Sean, thank you so much for being on the rescuers radio show. And you yourself are a rescuer changing and saving lives. Sean, thank you. God bless you. Thank you, Art. It was a pleasure to be a part. Humble to be a part. Appreciate all you're doing. Thursdays at 5.30 Arizona time on Faith Talk 1360 KPXQ AM. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.